Good to be with you again. I was here a few years ago, and it's a delight to be back. Appreciate the elders giving me the invitation uh, to come back and to be with you again. And also, Brother Tony called me, and I've known Tony for a long time. I would like to reminisce. I've known some folks in this audience tonight for a long time, but I won't go into all those details. But uh, let me just add just a little bit. They decided a few years ago that this elders and deacons seminar and preachers, they'd add that too, of course, uh, they decided that that needed to be called the men's seminar. So if any of you men can come, uh, we'd be delighted for you to just load your bus. I think you have a bus, don't you? Load that bus up and come over. This year, Brother uh, Alan Hires, Brother Glenn Colley, and Brother Tom Holland, he says he's going to be there. I understand he went to the Diana singing and got up and led a song, so I figured he could come to East Main and preach if he could do that. So Brother Tom plans to be there. And by the way, not only will we give you donuts, we'll give you barbecue for lunch with all the trimmings. So hope that entice you to come. But we do have a great day. We have just those three speakers. Uh, we end a little bit after 1 o'clock. So if you can come be with us, we would be delighted to have you. The text that was read a moment ago is uh, verse number 10, really, when Tony called me and said, would like for you to speak on the subject of Jesus teaches about salvation or Jesus taught about salvation. And the first thing I thought of was Luke 19.10, the very mission that our Lord had by coming to this earth. You may recall that uh, later the Apostle Peter was confronting, as well as John. They had healed a man by the power of Jesus, and it gave them opportunity in Acts chapter 4 to tell them about Jesus. And then this is what they said in verse 11 and 12. This is the stone which is set at naught of you builders and has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And so he put these fellows as builders in the absurd position of rejecting the very cornerstone by which all of the building would be brought together. And, of course, then he stated, there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Ladies and gentlemen, we're living in a country now of a lot of folks that don't believe that at all. In fact, tomorrow morning, I am marrying a couple that is of a persuasion in religion that I know nothing hardly at all about. I say as kindly as I can, they're Hindus. He wanted to know what I charged. He had gone and accepted, he thought, an invitation to be married to this girl, and he was going to go to the temple in Nashville. And when he checked with them, they said, we want $300 for you to be married inside our building. When he asked me, how much do you charge? I said, oh, whatever she's worth to you. So I thought that would get his attention. But what I really meant to tell you was this. I told him, I asked one thing of him. Give us an opportunity to have Bible study with he and his wife. And he agreed. And I've got some folks there at East Main right now are chomping at the bits, as it were, to be able to do that. 
In the book of Luke, chapter 19, you will notice, please, that Jesus, as he was traveling from Galilee to Jerusalem, he's going up there now for the Passover. The following week, he would be nailed to the cross. And the Bible says that he entered and passed through Jericho. You're familiar with Jericho. You read about it in the Old Testament, the book of Joshua, chapter 6, specifically. And you may also know that uh, that old Jericho was destroyed, as we read in the book of Joshua. But there was another Jericho. In fact, I read just this afternoon, as I'm doing a little research on this, there are really three Jerichos. But the one that we're looking at was the one that was built by Herod and was often used by him. In fact, that's where he died, was there in the city of Jericho. And so he had a place uh, that was a great comfort, he felt, uh, to him. So Jesus comes to Jericho. Now, while Jesus is there, I want you to notice that there is a man, and I find that interesting in verse number 2, that here is a statement about a man. But if you drop down to verse 4, you will notice what he did. He ran and he climbed. Well, that sounds more like a little boy, doesn't it? Our youngest son, when we lived in Knoxville, we had trees out in the backyard. And any time you went out in the back and you thought he was there and couldn't find him, he would be up a tree. There was not a limb on those trees that he didn't try to climb. Now, this man here is identified, and uh, I'm looking at King James translation. It says Zacchaeus. Now, we just finished a couple of weeks ago with uh, Vacation Bible School, and we sang about Zacchaeus, a wee little man that climbed up in the sycamore tree. And I'm sure that uh, teachers here do the same thing, that you teach those young folks uh, about uh, that little man. But notice, folks, if you will, the Bible said he was chief among the publicans. Now, that's interesting because, you see, the Roman Empire did not uh, have taxes with a system like we have in this country. They had a man or sometimes a firm that would have under them a chief tax collector and then under that person would be what we call a publican in the scriptures or referred to as a publican, which was another tax collector that would go and take up money, tax money, from these folks. And you can see why the Jews hated these folks. As far as they were concerned, they were nothing but renegades. Because often publicans were identified, and you'll see in our text that we read a moment ago, as sinners. And they thought that they were the worst kind of sinners. Do you remember in Luke 18, Jesus told a parable about a Pharisee and a publican. And the Pharisee stood and prayed with himself, saying, God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men. And he went on to say, or even as this publican. And so that's how the Jews observed those who were tax collectors. And so the publican would take the money from the people. Now keep in mind, the publican has to have a living. But 
the chief publican that he's identified as, he also has to have a living. He has to have an income. And the firm above the chief publican, well, the same thing is true with them. And then they take what is left and they send it to Rome. And so very often publicans or tax collectors would cheat people. In the book of Second or First Timothy chapter 2, or chapter 6 rather, verses 9 and 10, Paul gives a warning. But they that will be rich, now he didn't say those that are rich, he said they that will be rich, fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, and notice the wording, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, the which while some men have coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. I want you to notice that the Bible says in verse number 2, Zacchaeus was rich. Now, how did he get his riches? You know, there are some questions that I have, and perhaps you do too, that I wish the Bible answered. I don't know how he got his riches. The Bible doesn't say. Now, it could be that he inherited his riches. Some folks do that, you know. And it could be that he was a hard worker and very frugal and he had saved over a period of time. And so he's identified as being rich. But you remember in the book of Luke chapter 16, beginning in verse 19, the Lord talked about a rich man. And folks, as far as I can see in that uh, text, he's identified as a rich man. Number one, he had good clothes. Number two, he had a place to live. Number three, he had plenty to eat. Now that's about all I know about that man except some other things of a spiritual nature the Lord was teaching. But he's still identified as a rich man, so I think we ought to keep that in mind. But as we look at this, there are some favorable traits about this man, and that's what I want to share with you for the next few minutes. And I want us to see about Jesus teaching regarding this great subject of salvation. You remember in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 3 that the message of salvation was first spoken by our Lord. But the question is asked, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Now that within itself is another sermon, isn't it? Why is it a great salvation? Because the greatest person that ever lived upon this earth brought it into play. But there's one thing that I want to notice with you as we look at this lesson, and that's number three, verse number three. Notice the text says, He sought to see Jesus who He was. Well, why did He want to see Jesus? Well, no doubt he had heard about Jesus. And you'll notice that at this time there were crowds there in Jericho 
that were following Jesus. And why were they following Jesus? Well, many wanted to hear his teachings. Some were curious about his miracles that he performed. And you remember in John chapter 6, when the crowd followed him across the lake, he simply made the statement, you didn't come to see the miracles, you came because of the loaves and fishes. There are various reasons why people want to see Jesus. But this man had a desire to see Jesus. I think that's an admirable trait. Because you know, ladies and gentlemen, there are a lot of people tonight that do not care anything about seeing Jesus. They think you're foolish. You've already been to services once this morning. Why would you come back tonight? That's a waste of your time. There may be a good program on TV that you could watch. And so as the old saying is, I know I'm preaching to the choir, but you're the kind of people that I love to speak to because you love the Lord. And you want to know how that you can live your life that's always pleasing to Him. And we keep feeding and feeding upon God's Word. And so the Bible says He sought to see Jesus, who He was. Do you know the average people today don't have a clue who Jesus is? Let me show you what I mean. In John chapter 1 and verse 1, you're familiar with it, aren't you? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. If you tell folks today that Jesus Christ is God and was God, they don't understand that. They don't understand that there are three persons, that God is the family name, that there is one that's identified as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I don't know what Zacchaeus wanted to know about Jesus. He may have just wanted to see his miracles that he could perform because after all, in the preceding chapter 18, Mark's account calls this man blind Bartimaeus. Jesus healed him. And so he may have heard that here's one that's coming. He's a rabbi and he's healing people. And so he sought to see Jesus. And that's an admiral trait, is it not? All of us should want to know about Jesus. In Romans 5 verse 8, Paul says, God commendeth his love toward us. The latter part of that verse says, Christ died for us. I know that Paul said in the middle of that verse, in that while we were yet sinners, but Paul was talking about himself then in the first century and those brethren that he's writing to uh, in Rome and so you and I can see the principle there that Jesus died for all men. Hebrews 2 verse 9 says, He by the grace of God tasted death for every man. Who is Jesus? Paul said in Romans or Philippians 3 verse 10 that I may know Him, the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His suffering, and being made conformable unto His death. So friends, we need to realize how important it is to want to know as much as we can about Jesus. I think that song is in our book. We used to sing it years ago. More about Jesus would I know. More of His grace to others show. We should want to know about Jesus. Then I want you to notice again. The text tells us 
that he ran. That shows enthusiasm, doesn't it? Isn't it wonderful when there are brethren that show enthusiasm in the Lord's church today? And then the Bible says that he climbed. He climbed up in that tree. He was a short man. That shows determination, doesn't it? We all should have determination that we're going to do the best that we can in serving the Lord. Folks, I'm not the best preacher of the brotherhood, not by a long stretch of imagination, but I try to do the best I can. I've led singing for years. I'm not the best song leader in the brotherhood. There's one that was mentioned to me tonight, Paul Borgen. He comes about as close to it as anybody I've met. But I try to do the best that I can. And so whatever we do, whatever position we have, it's nothing but a member that sits on a pew. We should do the best that we can for the Lord. And that shows that this man has enthusiasm, That shows that he has determination. Why? He wanted to see Jesus. Can I tell you, when I lived in Knoxville, in 1980, the announcement was made over the TV that Ronald Reagan, who was running for President of the United States, was coming to Knoxville. And they told us that on Market Street uptown, He was going to be making a speech. I wanted to see Ronald Reagan. I wanted to say that I have seen in person one who may have become a president of the United States. Well, to make a long story short, I went up there. They announced when he had landed his plane at McGee-Dyson Airport. They announced when he had arrived up at uh, Market Street. And I saw a rope. And on the other side was another rope and there was a path and I made my way to that rope. And when I heard the crowd cheering and I heard people hollering, I knew that he was coming up that way. I looked and there were all kinds of hands sticking out and as he went through that crowd, he would go from one side to the other and he would shake a few hands and touch a few folks. I just stuck my hand out like this. Would you believe that he walked from the other side over to me, reached out, I don't know why he did it, but he shook my hand, looked me straight in the eye. I tell young people when I teach the classes, do you know who the 16th president of the United States is? No. Some of them do. Abraham Lincoln. I said, how do you know he lived? Did you see him? Did you hear him? No. Well, do you know who the 40th president of the United States is? They don't know. I say, Ronald Reagan. I say, can you prove to me Ronald Reagan lived? Well, no. I said, I shook his hand. I'm telling you he lived. What's my point, folks? The apostles were eyewitnesses of Jesus, who He really was and who He is. And there were men who were acquainted with those apostles that have recorded in history, we knew those apostles. 
And we heard those apostles tell us about being eyewitnesses of Jesus and His resurrection. Now, I want you to notice with me in verse number 5. When Jesus came to the place, He looked up and saw Him. And he said, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at your house. He was looking or seeking for Jesus. He was the seeker, was he not? But now he becomes the salt. Because you see, Jesus is seeking after him. And you'll notice in the text that Jesus calls him by his name. And he says, I must abide at your house. And that wasn't for Jesus' benefit. That was for Zacchaeus. And it's interesting to me, and far as I know, this is the only place in the Scriptures I can find this, that Jesus invited himself to that house. Friends, if you're out of Christ tonight and you're not living faithful as a member of the Lord's church, may I tell you, Jesus wants to come to your house. He wants to come into your heart and He wants you to live for Him. Now I want you to notice something else. There was a crowd there. But our Lord was interested at this time in one individual. You remember in Acts chapter 8, verse 26 through 39, Philip had been preaching a big gospel meeting, if you please. But the angel of the Lord spoke to him and said, I want you to rise and go toward the south, go from Jerusalem to Gaza, which is desert. And you remember there was one man. He was from the land of Ethiopia. And so the Lord is concerned about individuals. He's concerned about your salvation tonight. He's concerned about mine. But then I want you to notice in verse number 7, that crowd was not happy. The Bible says they murmured. And I want you to notice they called him a sinner, Zacchaeus. Why was he going home with a sinner, a well-known sinner? But you remember in Luke chapter 15, the Bible says, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. But it was the Pharisees and scribes that murmured, saying, this man is eating with sinners. He never condoned sin. He never compromised with sin. But he associated himself with sinners. Why? If you look at verse 10 of our text tonight, the Son of Man has a mission to come and seek and save that which is lost. And one of the great things that we learn about Jesus and salvation is this. Nobody is too big a sinner for the Lord to save. Beginning in verse 8, I want you to notice this man demonstrates a sincere heart. Now, there are some that say that Zacchaeus was a sinner in the sense he was a thief. He took money from others. That may have been the case. But I want you to read with me again in verse number 8. Zacchaeus stood. Now, evidently, they're in his home. Wouldn't you love to have known the discussion that took place in that home? But now Zacchaeus stands, and here's what he says. Notice it very carefully. Behold, Lord, 
The half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. Now understand in this verse, when he says the half of my goods I give to the poor, the original said, I am giving to the poor. And when he makes the statement that if, and notice that, I've taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. That means, folks, that if he took a hundred dollars, he would give that man a hundred dollars plus four hundred dollars. Now that's based upon the old law that said that when one stole, he had to repay, but he also had to add a fifth. That would be 20%. And so here, it's not 20%. It's not one-fifth. It's fourfold. But I want you to notice in verse number 9, Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation, what? Come to this house. Why? For as much as he also is a son of Abraham. Now let me cost you about something. This took place under the law. Men could be saved under the law, but they could not be saved by the law. Galatians 2.16 for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. Galatians 2.20 Paul said, I do not frustrate or make void the grace of God. Well, if righteousness come by the law, then Christ died in vain. And so again, men could be saved under the law, but not by the law. Well, now, Salvation has come to your house. Well, how did that come about? You remember, that's before the gospel came into play. In Mark chapter 2, our Lord said that the Son of Man hath power to forgive sin on earth. Now, He could do that while He's here upon the earth. But ladies and gentlemen, now... It's by means of the call of the gospel. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 14. And then Jesus explains it all and it comes together in verse 10. Listen to him. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. You see, that which is lost, ladies and gentlemen, is worthless. You remember in Luke 15, there was a lost sheep, there was a lost coin. As long as they were lost to the owner, they were worthless. There was also a boy that became lost. And when he came home, there was a loving father that welcomed him with a robe, with a ring, and with shoes. And ladies and gentlemen, that's the picture of our loving father. Tonight, if you're out of Christ... I hope you understand the Lord's teaching about salvation. This is just one of many places in the Scriptures 
that we can read about Jesus' concern about those that are lost. I'm sure that if you're here tonight and you're out of Christ, you've heard so many sermons. As the old saying is, you've heard enough gospel save the world probably. What excuse, friend, would you have if you pass from this world tonight into the judgment? As you stand before the Lord, as we all shall surely do someday, what excuse could you bring before the Lord as to why you didn't obey Him? If you're a child of God and you're unfaithful, what excuse would you have? You need to come back to the Lord. These people will love you and help you live that Christian life. While we stand and as we sing, will you come?